I think that's just fine. <laughs> there we go. Hi, everybody. Uh, if you don't know me, I am Vanessa. I am part of the clergy team here at St. Matt's, um, and I am so excited to be speaking to you today. We are doing the second one of our new series, which is That's What I Go to Church For. I nearly said the wrong phrase. That's what I go to church for. Um, and uh, all of us, as you hear that, you'll have different reasons for why you are here today, why you have come to church today. If I'm honest with you, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with the whole going to church thing. Am I allowed to say that as a vicar? Um, maybe not. Don't get me wrong. I love the ideal of church, this amazing community focused on loving God, loving ourselves, loving others. A community that serves and cares for each other, that is full of the Holy Spirit and empowered with that love to go and transform our neighbourhoods, our families, our communities, our city. Yeah? You're like, yeah, that sounds all right. That's amazing, isn't it? Incredible ideal. But as the lovely Ed Hodges reminded us last week, we don't go to church, we are the church. We don't go to church, we have to be the church ourselves and therein lies the problem. It's full of people. It's full of people. And people who like, we niggle at each other for things that don't really matter. We like to be oh so judgy, don't we? I spoke before about how we like to rank ourselves alongside others and hopefully come out on top feeling better about ourselves. We can fall out over things. We have disagreements. We have arguments. We just sometimes don't like each other very much. And for, for many people, uh, my favourite is that sort of just the Sunday thing. You do one thing on a Sunday morning, you act like one thing, and then on Monday morning, we completely lack authenticity. We're completely different. Again, I don't know about you, but have you experienced that ever in a church? Just me? Like, yeah, that can be what it feels like to be part of a church. And some of my friends uh, who I was uh, church with, particularly uh, in my younger years, they're not going to church anymore. They've become reasons for them not to go to church. But for me, that ideal of this beautiful community that can transform wherever it is in the world is why I go to church still, despite all of that. And today we're going to be looking at Peter's letter, which was written to the church to actually really speak into that, to help us with that. So... Our passage is going to be first Peter, the first letter he wrote several, um, and Peter was one of Jesus's closest friends, and after Jesus died, he was really significant, really central to the starting of the church, and he writes this letter to a bunch of scattered Christians in what was Asia Minor, now Turkey. So that's the context for us. And they were having a really tough time. You read the whole thing through, you can see they're really struggling. And there's loads of practical advice for being a Christian in that kind of really difficult, struggling times. But it starts off, and that's the bit we're going to look at today, with some great encouragement. In fact, the first letter of Peter is known as the letter of encouragement. Um, encourage, N, to put in courage, to put in courage. Anyone here feel that they could do with having some courage put into them today? Some strength, some joy. Yeah, we want some courage today, so we're going to dive in. If you've got your Bibles, uh, like these old school ones with paper, um, do have a look at 1 Peter or look at it on your phone, or if you can't be bothered, I've got it on the screens for you, that's fine. If you're anything like me, it really helps to follow along, otherwise the words are like, just in and straight out again. If we can follow them, it really helps. Okay, let's go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, 
exiles scattered throughout the provinces of always hate this bit in the Bible when you can't read the words. I was taught, just say it confidently and no one will know. So that's what I'm going to do. Obviously, I haven't told you that secret. Let's go with it. Uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, there we go, Asia and Bithynia. I say this just to give you all confidence whenever you're reading the Bible and you don't know. You're like, yeah, no, neither does Vanessa, it's fine. Um, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Uh, Where's it gone? Oh, yes, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is so much in here that we could pick out. But I just want to look at a couple of things that Peter wants to encourage us with today. And the first thing is right there at the very beginning, in the first verse, as Peter starts, he says to God's elect. The Greek used here is also translated chosen, which is backed up in the next verse when it says, who have been chosen. It was true for them now, and it's true for us today. God chooses us. Do you know that, that God chooses you? Maybe this is your first time in church, or maybe it's your thousandth time in church. But if you're here today listening to me waffling on, that means God has chosen you. And he's been weaving together through different experiences, people, invitations, opportunities, this moment here for you to be here today to hear that God chooses you. And that can feel hard to hear sometimes. I wonder how it's sitting with you. Some of us have such a strong negative inner voice It just feels ridiculous to think that the God of the universe, the God who created all of this, would choose me. In fact, if we had to pick a word rather than chosen, maybe our go-to word would be rejected because of the things that have gone on in our life that have happened to us. And we kind of wear that as our identity. But today, we are reminded God chooses you, warts and all. For others of us, Uh, We're feeling like, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. God chooses me. I I get to choose, thank you very much. I get to choose God, and I'm still trying to work out whether I do or not. I'm not quite sure whether I do, um, but I think I have a say in all of this. Sure, sure, of course you do. But I think we end up getting into one of those conversations like couples do when they've been together for years, looking back, trying to work out who it was that made the first move, who it was that asked who out, who it was that sort of laid all their cards on the table first. God made the first move. If you're in any doubt, God made the first move. Of course you get a choice. Do you choose God? 
but God chooses you. And uh, it actually, Jesus himself even said this. They were having the same kind of discussion. And in uh, John uh, chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says to his disciples who are having all of this debate, he says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. I don't know what your experience, your own personal experience of being chosen is. You may have a really strong one, a strong memory of being chosen in your life. For me, I always go back to that wonderful moment in secondary PE where it was the picking of teams. Anyone else have that experience? I'm wondering if there's an age thing on this. Maybe they don't do this to kids anymore because they've realised how scarring it is. But it would always start with a teacher picking two team captains. Anyone the team captains used to get picked? I can see you. Slightly smug looking. That was me. I always used to get it. That was never me. You'd have your two team captains and then there'd be that moment where the crowd would thin. People get picked out left, right and centre. Yeah? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Vanessa, this is a made-up story. Look at you. You would have been picked really early. You're clearly so sporty and athletic. Why are you laughing so much? This is so rude. Um, but for the keener-eyed ones of you uh, among, among the congregation today, um, I probably wasn't a strong choice. Uh, if they were looking at me there in my PE shorts and T-shirt, there was something that would have made them go, I'm not sure I'm going to risk it. And that's because I've actually got an artificial leg. Um, and so obviously, some people, the judgy ones, would look and think, well, she's not going to be quite so agile and sporty. Of course they are wrong. I'm perfectly sporty and agile, aren't I? Um, but so I would often be not a first choice or a second or a third or a fourth choice. And I just remember that moment, you'll be stood there and then one of the team captains, they'd catch your eye. And I'd be like, oh, phew. So they wouldn't look at you. They, they'd always like, be too shamed to look at you before they pick. So they'd make eye contact. They'd surely. And then there'd be that moment where you hear Vanessa. It was sometimes a little bit discouraging in the tone that they'd say my name. But they would, say, they would choose me. I'd be like, oh, goodness and I'd make that confident I'm not last I mean sometimes sure I was last but sometimes I wasn't last and I would get picked being chosen feels incredible doesn't it and I hope that we've all got at least something that we can tap into about what it feels like to be chosen maybe it's been um, an interview you've had where you got picked for a job or an audition maybe it's just with a friendship where you suddenly feel like somebody starts making an effort and chooses to want to meet up with you maybe it's like Maybe I'm out of my depth here, actually. That dating thing where you swipe a certain way. Oh, is that that one? Okay, maybe not that one then. That sounds bad. That sounds like not the sort of thing you want. But that relief, that moment where you get picked, it's incredible. But it's not as incredible as our message today, which is that whatever else, whoever else has chosen you, God chooses you. Amazing. And you. And you. And you. And them. Therein lies the rub. God chooses you, but he also chooses them. And there might be people here today in this church, sitting here, thinking, why does he choose them? Yeah? Those Christians, they're not proper Christians. I don't even agree with their theology on that. They, they actually are quite embarrassing to associate with. I don't really even like them. We've actually had a falling out. Peter wants to encourage us by reminding us that we are all chosen, not just you, and how that will transform the church. Have any of you seen the, um, it's on Amazon now actually, but the Chosen series? 
me a wave if you have. If you haven't, please check it out. It is on Amazon now, so it's really great to watch. It's about the life of Jesus. And it is my absolute favourite portrayal of Jesus, apart from the original article. It's brilliant. Um, but, um, but one of the things it also does really well is help us see just how difficult it was for that first group of disciples of Jesus. What a random bunch of humans they were, all thrown together with all of their quirks and all of their difficulties. And so often, this you'll find a few of them kind of huddled around, moaning about one of the other ones. That's, and they'll always end up landing on the fact that, well, I guess Jesus did choose them too. We're going to have to get on with it, aren't we? Yeah, it is. And that's true for us today. We may want to be like, oh, God chooses us together. Just a quick flip side to this, which is easy to miss, very early on as well, where it talks about God's elect. The very next word is exiles. I just want to just highlight that just because I think it's really important. Exiles is a bit of a weird word. It often means um, foreigners or strangers. And it's just speaking into the fact that when we are chosen in this way, to be part of God's family in this way, we can feel like foreigners, strangers, exiles in the communities that we've come from, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods, in our halls, or even in our homes. We can end up feeling like we don't quite fit. Maybe we've got different values now, different priorities, different ambitions, and that can be really challenging. So again, as Ed said last week, that's why as a church we gather so that we can encourage each other and then we can scatter and go and be that community, living it out where we need to be. So, we're chosen by God, but Peter also reminds us that we are given, if you look in verse three, a living hope. And I want to just unpick that bit as well. Because hope here clearly means something quite different to how we often tend to use hope. I think often when I use hope, I'm thinking about a future thing that I'd really like to happen. I hope so. It's almost like a, I hope, really, I'm meaning like a wish. Um, I don't know if you've seen, have I shared this with you before? It's one of my favourite kind of quotes about hope. Don't get your, it's not a, a, a holy one. Um, uh, Nobody is more full of false hope than a mum who places items on the stairs for her family members to carry up. That is my, I don't know why I, do, I still, I'm like, I'll put it there because somebody will take it. No, they won't. That is then, if you look at the next slide, literally I thought, this is my stairs on uh, Friday, just a general <laughs> pile of things, ever hopeful that somebody might move them up the stairs. But so often when we think of hope, we think of this. We think of that would be great if. And we all have hopes and hopes are great. Maybe you are here today with a big hope. You're hoping uh, for a particular job or you're hoping for your exams to go well. You're hoping to make it to the end of term and not be completely on your knees. Whatever it is that you're hoping for, Maybe there's a relationship. You're hoping a relationship will start. I hope that's not awkward for anyone that's sat anywhere here today. You're hoping for a relationship to start. Or maybe actually you're hoping for a broken relationship to be repaired. We need those hopes. That's great. But that isn't this passage. This passage is about a living hope. We're going to take a greater look. It starts in verse 3. If you've still got your Bibles up, great. Um, It starts, in his great mercy. So this is something that God does. It's not dependent on us, but on the fact that God is full of mercy. So in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. 
Wow. Jesus' resurrection assures us that death is not the end. He lives with death behind him. Through his death and resurrection, we are forgiven and we are adopted into this new family. He talks about this new birth, a new start. And in Romans 8, uh, this gets picked up again, describing us as heirs with Christ to this inheritance. So as an heir, that means everything that God has is ours. Everything that God has, that is our inheritance, and it's stored for us. So this is the assurance in our future. Amazing. But it gets better. If you get a look at verse 5, it says, Through faith you are shielded by God's power. Through faith, you are shielded by God's power. And then skipping on to verse nine, Peter says, you are now receiving the end result of your faith, the salvations of your souls. Now, you are receiving. This isn't just some abstract thing that eventually we'll get to. I hope at some point will be. This hope stretches right out of eternity into our lives today. It's a living hope now, if we choose to trust In both those sections, faith is key to activating, to realising the living hope that we have. We have it now, shielded by God's power. That means that God will protect us, will keep us going, will sustain us. We have that power. It says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us. That's a lot of power. And then the second bit, this receiving the salvation for our souls can sound a little bit jargony. I don't know if you had to explain that to your best non-Christian friend, what on earth you'd say about that, how you'd explain that. I think of it as our souls being that very essence of who we are, which is damaged and broken and can be separate from God. Well, God is already beginning that work of bringing wholeness, bringing reconciliation, bringing reconnection. That is the salvation of our souls that God is already doing. We're working towards it, progress, not perfection. We're not there yet. But in this moment now, God is working towards it. But Peter is really clear that this living hope doesn't actually take us out of our lives, but sustains us in them. As I said at the beginning, this scattered bunch of Christians, gosh, they were going through some really difficult times. Uh, Verse six talks about suffering grief in all kinds of trials. And if it doesn't make me sound like an awful person... I'm quite pleased. Not that they're going through horrible suffering times, but it gives me hope in my own struggles that these Christians were also going through difficult times. I don't know about you, but I've heard preachers that like to speak about, uh, if you follow Jesus, you'll get health and wealth and happiness, sometimes coined the prosperity gospel. And that just baffles me because I wonder, have they actually read about the life of the early church? Page after page after page, we read of their sufferings, their struggles, their pain. And this encourages me. It gives me courage because my life has had seasons that have been incredibly hard. Times of trial, as the Bible would put it. And so I can relate to the fact that these people know what it's like. And I need the same encouragement that they needed today. I'm chosen, and I have a living hope for eternity, yes, but also now, God shielding me and repairing my soul. So I'd love us to be a church that keeps on encouraging each other 
all of this, all of the time. And sometimes perhaps we might even need to hold that hope for somebody else. Sometimes when we're going through a really dark patch, we need others to sustain us through it, to hold hope for us. My favourite song at the moment is a Maverick City one called Worthy of My Song. And it's all about holding on to faith and hope when life is a struggle. And there's this verse. It says, I'm going to live like my king is risen. I'm going to preach to my soul that you've already won. Even though I can't see it, I'm going to keep believing that every promise you make is as good as done. That is what it means to have faith in a difficult time, to be able to say, I'm going to remind my soul of what is true. I'm going to hold on to that living hope. Because if we do, there's one last bit of encouragement that Peter promises in verse 8. He talks about having an inexpressible and glorious joy. What else would you have when you know you are chosen by God, shielded by his power, he's working on your soul, and you have this beautiful future inheritance. Um, Can I pray for us all today now? Would you be willing to stand? We always do this if you're new here today. Uh, We always do this after we've had some time to listen. Just gives us a chance to receive from God something that he might particularly want to say to us today. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment. We're going to just have some stillness. And we're going to ask for God's spirit just to come and speak to us now. So let's pray. You may want to put your hands out. We often put our hands out just to say, I want to receive this. I want to receive whatever you want to give me today, God. So Holy Spirit, we ask you now to come and fill us. Fill us with your love. Speak to our hearts. Do that work that only you can do in our souls and restoring. Holy Spirit, come.